Welcome to the Wellness Hub Podcast with your hosts, Natalie and Emily. We hope to inspire families to nourish their body, mind, and spirit and become advocates for their own health. On the Wellness Hub, we'll be sharing resources to support you and your family on your health and wellness journey. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Wellness Hub Podcast. I'm Dr. Emily Brownlee. And I'm Natalie Reed, and we have our third co-host, John, today, so hopefully he'll be, he'll be cooperative. Um, and today we have Tim Hayes on. He is a counselor. Um, and a little disclaimer um, kind of going into this, uh, Tim has actually been my counselor for, I was trying to think about this yesterday in preparation for like three years now. Um, and so... I'm very biased because I think Tim is the absolute best. Um, and I really came from like a background of dealing with psychiatrists and psychologists all through my teens, had a lot of really negative experiences. And I was not a fan of counseling. It was very hesitant when I met Tim. Um, and since meeting him, like he has helped me so much in my life, um, totally helped me become a different person. So. That's a lot of why I wanted to have Tim on is just his expertise and, and the impact he's had in my life. Um, so hopefully he can kind of, you know, share some of his insights and, and help some other people through this podcast today as well. So thank you so much for coming on, Tim. Thank you for having me. Um, and would you mind just kind of starting by telling us a little bit of your background, kind of how you got into counseling um, and and where you got to where you are today? Okay. Well, I tell everybody that I'm a late-in-life counselor. Uh, I went back to school to become a counselor in my 50s, essentially, and I have, I have a whole other life before that. Uh, I, you know, I, I moved to Lubbock right before high school. This is home. I went to Tech. I got a degree in music, and then I went off in the Air Force for four years, and I was in personnel, and I, I left that, came back home. After uh, I, I married my high school sweetheart, and we had two kids in Wyoming, and we decided it's time to come back to Texas. And um, I took me a little while to find the right place in the work world, and eventually, uh, my the, the longest job I had, I landed at the Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center in the School of Medicine. I worked in the dean's office for 18 years, helping with the uh, reaccreditation of the educational program. Huh. And uh, while I was there, um, I began to feel more of a of a uh, a sense that this wasn't where I was going to uh, land. I never I've never really expected to retire, and I was thinking, what would I do that I could do into my later years? And I'd always had a sense I wanted to help people in some way. Um, I always thought it was some form of ministry. And as I continued to go forward, a lot of life happened, and I realized that um, I was really called to work to make change with individuals and couples and, and family units. Uh, and uh, through uh, just through a series of life happening, I, uh, I finally got, went to school. Um, I, I did an online program through Liberty University uh, and uh, graduated in 2015 and started working on getting my licensure while I was still working at the medical school, uh, retired from the med school, and then started working full-time as a counselor, finishing out my license. And in August of 2019, I stepped away. I was working at the Health Sciences Center in the Employee Assistance Program. I left there in August of 2019 to start my private practice. And uh, I have been solely in private practice now for over three years. Yeah. And learned a lot. Um, about how sometimes you don't you don't know what you're doing in your job. And the yeah. best thing to do, I, I had a, a supervisor once remind me and remind everybody, when you get stumped in counseling, you remind yourself it's all about relationships. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what keeps me going sometimes. Because yeah. I, you know, I'm not really, I'm not an expert. I'm not a relationship guru. I'm not the guy that really has all the information. I tell all of my clients, my job is to walk alongside you and ask you the questions as you find answers. Yeah. That's really my role, is to walk alongside and be in a relationship with somebody. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes people do depend on me to have some information. 
Um, and that's where school really made a difference. Uh, gave me a good understanding of, uh, of just who we are. Yeah. Um, in the middle of it, uh, middle of my uh, finishing out my license, I became trained in EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It's a trauma treatment mm -hmm. that has taught me so much about the, the nervous system and our brains and how we are impacted by uh, the, our physiology. And that there are many things that we see in the counseling world that people come to you and think this is all made up, this is all in my head. And say it is in their head, but it's all based in the amygdala and the brain, and and it's connected to the nervous system. And there are ways that um, our bodies will hold on to trauma, and uh, there, uh, it's astounding to me that God created our bodies in a way that we can release that trauma yeah. if mm -hmm. you if you do it the right way. Oh yeah. EMDR was one of those things that changed me as a therapist. Oh, it, yeah. it helped me understand so much more, and now um, I feel like I do have a tool to help people who come and, and are just stuck. Yeah. So that's that's an area that I that I really, I'm, I am an EMDR trained therapist. I'm not big certification. You can get lots of certifications. I'm still learning as you go, and, but it's an area that has changed me and I think made me a much better therapist in the long run. Yeah, I didn't know we had um, someone trained to do that and love there it before I met people. Emily. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of people really? in town that are EMDR trained. Um, you know, there are there are quite a few um, over the past few years. It's really ex expanded. Mm -hmm. so you just have to look, and you'd be surprised how many people are using EMDR now. Oh yeah, well, and like I can speak from my experience. You know, having having um, been to see you for so long, and um, that was something that was so helpful to me was the questions you would ask me because I'd been to therapists or psychiatrists or psychologists who would tell me a lot of stuff. But the questions you would ask, sometimes they'd really piss me off. And I'd be like, how dare you? Like, I know what I'm doing. And then I'd kind of leave and go, oh, crap. He's totally right. Um, and then also the EMDR, um, I actually, you actually helped me through um, some really tough stuff with EMDR. And it was insane what a change it made. I mean, a physiological change in my, in my body, in my brain. Um, and I was a totally different person after that treatment. So anybody who's been through something really traumatic or really difficult that, you know, you're just having a really hard time letting go of, um, especially if you're having physiological symptoms, at least for me, that was kind of my takeaway was I could tell a humongous difference after EMDR. It so is dramatic. It, it is, is dramatic. What, people, what you know, I see people experience and the release they have and this, the, the confidence that grows yeah. And who they are because they're not trapped by things that have uh, triggered them since they were very, very young. Yeah. Is that to similar watch. to emotions code? Have you no, um, I, I don't believe so. Um, EMDR uh, taps into a process, uh, eye movement. If you, if, you, if you watch somebody when they're sleeping, the rapid eye movement process, there is this left-right thing that's going on in the brain. And they discovered several years ago that... Um, accessing that uh, left-right stimulation of the brain. Um, it started with watching somebody's fingers moving back and forth, and that's why it's called eye movement. Um, but I use, I, I have a device that, that has pulsers that will vibrate each hand, um, left, right, there. It also has tones, you can do tones in the ear. You can do both, you can, um, there are several different ways. And when that left-right process is going on in the brain, um, it essentially brings the whole brain online and, um, and it opens up some of the neural networks that have been closed off around that trauma. Mm -hmm. And when you focus on that trauma and the physical and emotional disturbance that you have, while you do, you're doing that stimulation of the brain, um, it opens it up and releases the trauma from the nervous system. So I, memories aren't taken away. The memory, uh, most people... Uh, tell me it's more disturbing that they're not disturbed because they remember the incident that occurred, but they just aren't bothered by it anymore mm -hmm. because their body has released the trauma that has been there uh, wow. all along. Yeah. It's very, very honestly fun to watch. It's yeah. a little scary sometimes yeah. because um, it's you're dealing with hard stuff. Yeah. Well, and I think kind of the way you explained it to me, and it really made sense to me, was like when 
something traumatic happens, our brain doesn't process that memory correctly and it doesn't put it into long-term storage. And so that's kind of where the dysfunction occurs. Is it still kind of hovering around in like present tense memory? Well, it, it's it, what happens is that the amygdala has a way of saving memories that is um, that's all within your nervous system. Mm -hmm. And the amygdala is always first person and present tense. Yeah. So you basically remember what I experienced and it's always in the moment. Mm -hmm. But the way that what the amygdala saves is the physical and emotional response you had in the moment. You don't remember, you know, the, the circumstances. You're yeah. you are remembering the feelings that you right. had, and and when the amygdala triggers that, your body, uh, your mind and body are feeling what you felt when that incident occurred. So mm -hmm. it is present tense again. Yeah. And many people, um, it's hard. You freak out when you, you think yeah. well, I'm, I'm I'm feeling it all again. So yes, you are. That's the way the amygdala, the amygdala works. Mm -hmm. And releasing that response, um, it, it's no longer first person present tense mm -hmm. it's now becoming you know third person yeah. that happened to me there um and past tense yeah. third person past tense that's that's the goal essentially mm -hmm. um is with those things that that we have is you don't forget them yeah. but you take away the power they had to flip you out essentially yeah. Well, and something I thought was crazy is like we kind of discovered that there were other memories later on down the road that my brain had kind of clumped together. And those and those memories are all it's all basically in a channel. Yeah. The way the brain categorizes that, it's based on that physical emotional response you had. Mm -hmm. And there oftentimes it, it's it's strange because you think these stories have nothing right. Uh, you know, they they are not related at all. Yeah. And that's not the related aspect. It's mm -hmm. the fact that your mind and body have this disturbance. And you look for the things where you had the same physical emotional response. And um, when you release it from the past, it kind of works the whole channel. Yeah. So you're releasing even the present uh, issues are, are slowly released. Yeah. So it's all the way the brains are fascinating. fascinating. It is. It was amazing. It, it really, truly changed my life. So if anybody is ever interested in that, I think it, it might be really helpful. It was for me. Were you ever um, exposed to counseling or EMDR before you, like, was there a moment where you were like, I want to do this because it's helped me? Or was it like, I want to help people? I wanna do well, this. I want to help people. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, full disclosure, I've been with a counselor for 17 years. Um, I started working on my own personal issues mm -hmm. many years ago. I had a, I had a, a lot of a struggle with depression uh, in my, you know, my earlier adulthood. I, I said it took me a long time to find my, my the job I was going to do. I did a mm -hmm. lot of different things, and part of that really shook up my identity of, of who I am as a man, who I am as a husband and a father. And um, I finally I had the courage to go to my doctor and say, I think I need an antidepressant because I'd taken an, an, an inventory online and said, I have all of these symptoms. And I actually took him a list and I said, here's what I have. And he said, okay, what antidepressant do you want to be on? Yeah. And um, and I was on an antidepressant for about two and a half years. Um, and I, I've later come to understand that when you start an antidepressant, you really need to plan to be on it long-term for about a year or a year and a half. Because oftentimes what's happening is the brain is not um, doing what it's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. uh, there are processes in the amygdala, here we are, this important part of our brain, um, that aren't working the way they're supposed to. And an antidepressant helps to balance those out. Mm -hmm. um, the dopamine and the serotonin and, and those aspects uh, in that part of your brain, um, are that's the purpose of an antidepressant. Mm -hmm. And uh, over the course of, of time, when you're on an antidepressant for a longer period of time, your brain may kick in and start doing those things. And that's what it did for me. After yeah. about two and a half years, I realized I was feeling overdosed because my body started to do what it was supposed to do. Yeah. And, you know, I've had times where I wanted to go back on antidepressant because life is hard and yeah. it's still hard. Um, but um, my brain has, has finally balanced out. So it's mm -hmm. it's not as chemical. Now it's situational or I'm just being me. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, w I was with a counselor. Uh, I went to a counselor because I was struggling with depression and just a lot mm -hmm. of identity stuff. And over the course of time with him, uh, I decided to go back to school. Uh, I got a master's in, in management from Wayland. And, uh, and not long after that, um, we went through, I, I kind of said before, life happened. And mm -hmm. after I finished, my, finished the degree at Wayland, uh, my 24-year-old son 
and was diagnosed with non-Hodgkinson lymphoma. Mm-hmm. And we walked through a year of cancer treatment and lost him in February of 2011. And uh, um, through that process, it really solidified in me that I needed to go back to school and pursue what I felt God had been calling me to. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, uh, six months after he passed away, I started back to school uh, to get the counseling degree. And uh, you know, that's where I, I landed today. It's a lot of that. I'm trying to remember we started with that question. Oh, <laughs> no, I know. That's, but I think that's, that's the cool thing about having been through, I mean, all, I feel like everybody's been through really hard stuff. Like, really, when you get to know somebody, mm-hmm. we've all been through so much hard stuff. And I think that makes us, especially as empaths, like, that just makes us better at doing what we do. Because it's like, hey, I've maybe not been in that particular set of shoes, but, like, I've been in, in tough stuff, too. And I'm, I know that there to walk through it with like you. That. Yeah, absolutely. That's where um, having a lot of life experience has really helped me. Yeah. I recognize now, I look at... Um, the, the young counselors I know, and, and I realized I couldn't do this when I was in my 20s or 30s yeah. mm-hmm. because a lot of where I come from is, is my life experience and um, doing it the wrong way and, and then trying to step in and do it, uh, find uh, the right way. Mm-hmm. And I was able to do that with a very fine counselor who I've been fortunate, fortunate to still work with. He keeps yeah. me sane. Um, although, you know, I'm, I'm not working on the main issues. I'm, I, he, he helps keep me balanced so mm-hmm. I can still do what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, the, you know, your question was did counseling. Yes, I've been in counseling a long time. Yeah. I was never exposed to EMDR until I, um, I started working with other counselors who uh, provide the EMDR, encouraged me to look at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I did a, some training mm-hmm. uh, and... Uh, and it's and a lot of EMDR is, is learning it as you go. There's a lot of on on the job training when you're doing it, yeah. and um, it's a it's a process with you and a client, and the client calls the shots. So if it's not working, you take a step back and we go a different direction. Yeah. Well, and kind of speaking to um, how you were saying, like you go to counseling to help you do what you do. Is that something that you would recommend to people who? you know, have jobs that require a lot of empathy and a lot of... Um, oh, definitely. Um, you know, everyone I know says every counselor needs a counselor, and I believe that fully. Yeah. They say that when you're in school. <clears throat> I was already with a counselor when I went back to school, so I, I didn't ever have a problem believing that. Um, we oftentimes, it, for me, it's not so much what he says, it's the fact that I hear myself saying what I'm saying yeah. to mm-hmm. him, and it helps me process and find my balance. And that's my goal with my clients is to help them find their balance. And I feel like there's a lot of misconception, at least in like younger Mm -hmm. um, ages about, I'm sure it's all ages, but just about where you go to a counselor when you're in some huge traumatic thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so can you speak a little bit to that as far as like going um, just for balance and making sure that, you know, everything is is good, even when there isn't some huge traumatic event. There is a benefit for having someone that you can talk to. Uh-huh. Um, over the past several years, uh, life coaching has become more of a mm-hmm. yeah a, of a thing, yeah. and then counseling is different. Counseling is, is to work with individuals who are really in um, in, in the hard hard stuff and mm-hmm. working helping them get to a more stable place. Life coaches are really intended to work with individuals who are more stable mm-hmm. who want to then take it to the next step. Mm-hmm. So um, even, you know, if, if there are issues um, that haven't been dealt with from your childhood mm-hmm. or even even current issues of dysfunction, a counselor is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if somebody is feeling pretty stable, a life coach might be a good, good option. Mm-hmm. Having someone outside of your world just to talk things through really does make a difference. Yeah. Um, the thing that I see um, with a lot of young people these days, and, and it's not just young people, but um, most people will come to counseling and think that they're going to walk in the door and you're going to hand them a list of things to do and their mm-hmm. life is going to be fixed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work that way. Um, I, don't, I don't have a plan when I work with somebody. I don't have a program that I follow um, and I will generally sit with somebody and try to determine what's really going on mm-hmm. and where do we go from here. And uh, it's a little challenging. And, you know, 
Uh, Emily, you said something about the questions that get asked. Those questions yeah. are oftentimes determined through the, through the course of a conversation. Mm -hmm. And to, you know, full disclosure, there's a lot of prayer on my part to say, oh, what am I supposed to ask here? Yeah. And, you know, and because I don't know where we're headed. And mm -hmm. it always seems to, uh, to be where we need to go. And it's all about the relationship. We go yeah. back to that. That's the most important part. Yeah. Well, and I think um, that's good to know because I, I haven't really known what to think about life coaching because I don't know like how regulated it is or, you know. There are certifications that individuals get for life coaching. Okay. Um, I, I don't know. You know I don't believe there's much regulation, mm -hmm. but individuals to call themselves a life coach have to go through um, a, a series of trainings. And, okay. um, and with a life coach, uh, you know, you have to, it's, a, it's all about the relationship. If mm -hmm. it's not working, find somebody else that yeah. it does mm -hmm. work with. Yeah. I've seen that be a big thing in like relationships as well, like um, for young women who are maybe letting men treat them like crap, mm -hmm. you know, like having a life coach for like getting them into better dating habits and things like that. Um, and I, I even some of their advice was really important to me before I found my husband. So, um, yeah, I think that can be a really cool resource if, you know, like you said, it's not um, something specific that you're dealing with and working right. through. And even coaching, you know, has it, it's not just about life coaching, you know, life coaching, there is the is executive coaching. The coaching is, it, it takes individuals to the next level mm -hmm. when things tend to be more stable. Yeah. Um, if somebody comes to me and things are stable and, and they they need to have that out that outside party talking to their lives, I'm willing to do that. Um, part of the counseling ethics is that you work with individuals um, when they are showing, you know, improvement, they're, they're meeting their goals. Mm -hmm. If they're not, uh, it's mm -hmm. not ethical to keep treating somebody just right. because. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I always watch for that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'll ask somebody, are you sure this is what you really want to be doing? Are you yeah. still meeting your goals? And mm -hmm. there are times people realize, you know, I've kind of hit what I wanted. And, and that's the time that I'd say, maybe, why don't you call me if you need me? Yeah. And uh, some of those can go on and find others who can speak into their, into their lives mm -hmm. in ways that I was able to for a while. Yeah, and that's kind of, with PT, it's the same way. It's like if, if they're symptomatic, they're a patient. If they are non-symptomatic, they are no longer a patient ethically. So, like, that's why I do coaching for those people. Um, so I can still help them, but um, in the proper context. But do you see a big swing of... Um of people looking for counseling with COVID? I was already fairly busy mm -hmm. when COVID started. Mm -hmm. And uh, when the shutdown started, it was interesting to me because um, I always I stayed face-to-face -face the whole time. Mm -hmm. I had a few individuals that felt more comfortable doing online counseling, so I would do that. But um, I was in an office building and, and they um, they basically, the rules, I looked at the essential you know, worker rules, and they said people live in, in work in office buildings. That was an essential. Um, I could do that, but also mental health is, is considered an essential worker. Mm -hmm. So I just stayed face to face and tried to distance them through that. So I had I was already busy, mm -hmm. um, and I found it was interesting. Some of the people I saw, I was the only place they went, yeah. um, and that was a really different time. Mm -hmm. um, I did observe personally with with my clients, the, the heightened anxiety that grew throughout that whole process. Um, and the the challenges that people had faced with relationships and uh, how relationships got much, much harder throughout that, that whole time of shutdowns and staying away from other people. And uh, um, I, I my practice grew over uh, 2020, you know, I, I, I started fully in private practice in, in August of 2019. So March of 2020, it started to shift. And over the over 2020, my, my practice grew to really uh, more than a full-time practice. Yeah. Um, I have friends that say a full-time practice is essentially 25 clients a week. And um, these days I ad average between 27 and 30 a week. So yeah. um, it's, it's a little bit difficult, but <laughs> Uh, the, the truth is, I have seen more people coming to me now. Mm -hmm. um, uh, still, some are still struggling with the impact of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, several individuals that I have worked with lost family members and were dealing with the grief of mm -hmm. that. And 
uh, you know, and but the anxiety, the rate, the rise of anxiety, the rise of depression, and the relationship uh, struggles that became apparent uh, across the country, I have observed firsthand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I'm I'm ready for us to find uh, balance and find what normal is supposed to be. Yeah. Again, I don't think we're there yet, mm-hmm. uh, but but we're working our way towards that. But yes, it, it, every every counselor I know these days. Uh, or you know, most counselors I know are turn, having to turn people away because we're all very, very busy. Yeah. Would you say that um, depression and anxiety are kind of the main things that you tend to see? Or well, it's it... those three things: depression, yeah. anxiety, and relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, turmoil. Yeah. Those are the big three that I have watched um, throughout this this whole time of uh, you know changing the way we deal with other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, it's hard. We're social creatures. We're not. Mm-hmm. We're yeah, not designed we to be connection. No, in yeah. isolation. Yeah, yeah that's age. why I stayed so busy. <laughs> right. That's a blessing. Um, what about age ranges? Do you see all age ranges? Or um, I really, I'm not really great with younger kids. Um, I, I, I've said I want to get out of the teenage business. They're hard, mm-hmm. um, but I do have a few teenagers. Um, I, I try to limit that. Most of what I. I, I have several uh, college students. Um, I have, I, mean, I, I work with individuals from say uh, 13 to 75 uh, age ranges. My practice, uh, when I went into counseling, um, I, having done a lot of personal work just around the issues of masculinity and being a man and a husband and a father, mm-hmm. um, I really wanted to work uh, more with men mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and, you know, as I have started and, and grown, about 80% of my practice is male. Um, I, I've, I, I look and I, I've never really calculated it out, but I think about 80% of my practice is male. Mm-hmm. Um, men's issues, um, issues of, of addiction and anger and family turmoil and you know, violence and all of those other things that, that uh, men struggle with in our culture, mm-hmm. um, I have. I tend to deal with a lot of those different things. Yeah, I think there's a big need for that, like with the with the rise in popularity of people like Jordan Peterson and mm-hmm. and figures like that. I think I think a lot of young men, especially, are really kind of wondering what does it look like to be a stable, successful man, and how does that look with relationships and things. So, I have some very strong opinions, not yeah. being male, and you know, yeah. and and having struggled in many of those areas in my life, um, and. Work working with several men, I get some very strong opinions um, you know, about masculinity in our country and mm-hmm. and people. I, I'm not real fond of the term toxic masculinity. I do agree that it exists, but I but simply because um, because because a person is male doesn't mean he is going to be toxic. Right. And exactly. um, and that's unfortunately the byproduct of some of that belief. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, I came to a place of, of Truly believing that uh, I don't, I'm, I'm going to tell you. I wrote a paper when I was in sociology class, and I and I I was studied func- what I call functional masculinity because I wanted to look at what happened to the men in our world. And um, I, at the time, I wanted I wanted to prove I was looking for proof that the the, the downfall of masculinity came from the the rise of, of the feminist movement. I mm-hmm. honestly wanted to find that, yeah. and and the more I looked, what I realized that had nothing to do with it really. Um, for me, um, you know, I, I was at a Christian university, so I was looking at it different, a little differently. I came to really believe the downfall of masculinity and honestly of femininity in our country is because God got pulled out of the equation. Yeah. And, and it was interesting that I, that, that was a thread that I started to realize with many of the cultures yeah. and the struggle that we've had is we don't have a foundation, uh, anymore about what are you really, what are we really called to be mm-hmm. as men and as women? Um, so, uh, you know, that's part of my practice. You know, I, I don't think I've said it yet, but I, I told you before that I, I advertise myself as a Christian counselor mm-hmm. um, that really has to do more with world belief. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my worldview uh, is that, you know, that God created us and he designed us in specific ways. And when we try to live outside that design, that's when dysfunction and turmoil will happen. Yeah. So what I, uh, what I, have wanted to do is try to help point people back towards his design, um, 
all live in his design? No, uh, that none of us really live in his design all the time. But if we can try to pursue that, that does help us find more balance. Yeah. Well, and I think even in my own life, there are times I really, I mean, I'm very independent and stubborn and redheaded. <laughs> I'm not redheaded, but I'm pretty independent and stubborn too. <laughs> oh, yeah. ask my parents. So yeah. It's like, I don't, I don't need no man. Like, I, I can do all this on my own. And I think the more, like, even just in my own life, the more that I've really studied what scripture says about what women were designed for and what men were designed for. And when I have had that mirrored in my life, I have been so much happier, so much more fulfilled. Everything is just, it just works. Um, so I know like in my own, in my own personal life, I found that to be very true. Yeah. I feel like there's so much competition now between like within the media. It's like you, you're either ultra one or the other, or you don't need the other one. And there's a balance to that. There's a, there's, there are a lot of us who try to live in the middle. Right. Well, it's you know, I living in in conservative West Texas. You know, mm-hmm. I deal with a lot of people who are who are very conservative, who are very uh, liberal on both sides, and, and I try to be in the middle. Yeah. And because I realize it's all really about balance. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you you kind of mentioned you know that you're a Christian counselor. Um, and that's the perspective that you have. What would you advise someone who's seeking out a counselor? How, how, would, you, um, how would you tell them to find the right person for them? You know, um, sometimes it is trial and error. Uh, you know, the, the finding a counselor that fits, you know, mm-hmm. that you feel comfortable with, that you feel um, confident that you can share uh, the deep things in your life. A lot of it is fit. Uh, mm-hmm. And some of that, sometimes you have to just look and see, do I think this person might be good? Try it. If it doesn't work, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but looking for somebody who, who does, who provides the type of counseling you think you need, mm-hmm. looking for somebody who generally, um, not, you know, not everybody, put, everybody puts it out there. They're a Christian counselor. There are a mm-hmm. lot of Christians who are counselors. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but I, I put that out there so the people who are looking for that specifically know that's what they can find. Mm-hmm. So and some of it is, um, you know, really just looking for what types of services do they provide and uh, how do I how do I feel about them when I talk to them? Um, you know, and then and then giving it giving it a try and mm-hmm. seeing do I think I can have a relationship with this person? Yeah, I've definitely had some that I I was like, I don't ever, ever want to see anybody in this capacity ever again. This is so bad. Um, what? So we kind of talked about the difference between like counseling and life coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, could you speak to kind of the difference between counseling and like psychiatry or psychology? Psychiatry, um, you know, psychiatry is a, a psychiatrist is an MD. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, are, they are a physician and they approach um, you know, psychological issues through the brain mm-hmm. you know they they a psychiatrist is is where you would go for uh, prescriptions for various medications to find the balance mm-hmm. in, you know in in your body uh, so a psychiatrist is an, is an MD a psychologist looks more um, you know at the, the functioning of the brain and the and and relationships it's they're much more process, I think, you know, mm-hmm. uh, physical process oriented than, than I am as a counselor. Counselors, um, we focus oftentimes on relationships and, and social connection with other people. That's, you know, there are, there are a lot of counselors that will, that deal with um, mental disorders, mm-hmm. um, you know, the diagnostic uh, statistical manual mm-hmm. um, had, will identify mental disorders. And um, there are individuals who will work with much of that, much of the things that, that come out there, um, you know, bipolar and borderline and all of those wonderful disorders that mm-hmm. we see. Um, I, I'm not, I don't feel as comfortable working specifically with mental disorders. I am really more of a relational person. Yeah. Even though I am an LPC, a licensed professional counselor, uh, sometimes I feel like I tend to, to my practice is more what you would see with a marriage and family therapist because mm-hmm. I, I deal a lot more with the relationship side of, um, of mental health mm-hmm. um, 
but I do um, dig into areas of, of depression and anxiety. And but generally, underneath all of those things, there there are relational connections because yeah. we are social creatures, and we all need a support system of other people. We're not meant to do this by ourselves. Yeah. And um, so, uh, was that enough of, the, of a distinction? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Do you feel in West Texas that the psychologists, psychiatrists, and counselor professions work well together? Generally, uh, generally, I have, um, I have individuals uh, that I have worked with uh, that have really struggled with depression, and uh, and I really encourage them to work with their psychiatrist on, on their medications. And mm-hmm. um, a psychiatrist really is focused on the body and what's happening. And a psychiatrist will generally tell somebody you need to find a talk therapist mm-hmm. uh, because uh, talking through things does help find helps a person find the balance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, psychologists are, are are oftentimes focused on the talk side of things too, but it's more structure, family structure, and and brain structure and what's going on within a person. Um, okay. Where I'm, I'm, like I said, I think I'm more of the relational side mm-hmm. of counseling. Um, and I know you've kind of spoken to like how mm-hmm. your practice has developed over time. Um, but what is, what is ultimately the vision that you have for your practice or are you at your vision? No, well, <laughs> um, I, I think that changes sometimes from yeah. day to day. Yeah. Um, you know, I, my primary love in counseling is, uh, is working with men's issues and helping men, um, become, uh, stronger in who they you know, who they really are, mm-hmm. uh, because if a man is uh, has has confidence and strength within himself, he uh, will generally be a better husband and father mm-hmm. and an employer or employee. Um, you know that's that's my my love, and eventually I I would love to part of my vision um, is to to work into the place of maybe uh, working with. Um, intensive retreats or other things of yeah. that nature where uh, where men would come and find uh, through some experiential work some mm-hmm. some healing and getting them started um, that's a little challenging to move into when you have such a busy private practice yeah, yeah. Um, but that's kind of my vision I would love to work towards that yeah. um, my wife has been very patient with me as I have uh, transitioned into this uh, into this career so I haven't really pushed or tried to change that um, and uh, be away on more weekends and longer weeks. I, yeah. I don't think I'm ready for that yet. Yeah. But that would be a vision that I would I would like to someday move into is doing more intensive work. Yeah. Um, but but a, a lot of it, I if people have asked me if I would ever specialize. Um, I do quite a bit of, of work with sex addiction, and mm-hmm. um, and I, that's not I don't want to be put in that corner and. Yeah. Okay, now you're the sex addiction guy in town. I don't really want to do that yeah. because what I do is so broad. Um, mm-hmm. Because I do work with um, you know people from every different angle. Um, you know, I, I, when I started it, I thought I would be I would work in areas of addiction and uh, and, it's, and with life happening, I realized I also have a whole grief piece that mm-hmm. um, there are, there are many parents who come to me and. And they know I understand the pain they're in. So yeah. it's it's one of those things that life has changed who I am and yeah. it has changed the services that I can provide for people. Yeah. Men's retreats would be awesome. I feel like if we were to Google right now women's retreats in this area or even like, you know, Dallas area or something, there would be a lot. Oh, yeah. But as far as men, I just feel like that's not something you hear a lot about. There aren't a lot, but there are there are several different um, um, organizations around the country mm-hmm. that are very, very involved with uh, providing experiential work. I went on a Christian men's retreat uh, back in January. Uh, the Crucible Project is an organization that's based in Chicago now, and um, and it was an experiential weekend. Um, and I wish I had time to to work with that more. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's there are there are things out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have. Uh, Spirit Ranch here in town provides many different retreats, and I and I years ago um, I had a conversation uh, with an individual connected with with them, thinking, "Wouldn't I love to do this?" But I just can't seem to find the time. Yeah, so we'll get there someday. Well, especially I know like a lot of men speak to the brotherhood and like what that what that means for them, especially if you know they're not 
fortunate enough to have a lot of those male figures in their life, right. um, mm-hmm. especially during their. Um, well, we need each other, years. man. You know, I I tell every man uh, that he needs to find some type of support system of other men. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not fair to expect your wife can be all of your accountability and support. Yeah. Uh, because sometimes uh, you know, a wife is not equipped for that. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. A wife does not approach issues. She doesn't understand a man's brain any more than a man understands a woman's yeah. brain. Um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and a man needs a support system uh, of other men who, who, who will call him on his stuff when, right. he's mixing, when he's messing up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I love the, the typical joke about, like, you know, a woman has problems and she tells her husband and he's like, okay, well, this is how you fix it. You do this and this and this. And she's like, I just need you to listen to me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and definitely the other way around. Too. Yeah, for exactly. sure. we, we have different gifts and different perspectives for sure. And I think having a group of people that you're on the same page with and have the mm-hmm. same morals. And I think that's just so important because you are who you're around. That's yeah. right. That's and right. That's It does make a big difference. Sometimes. And, and I really wish I had more time to do that work. I was involved uh, with the men's group for, for quite a long time, and uh, we tried to maintain it through COVID, and 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 I and I was leading it for a while, and just things got so busy, I just yeah. felt I can't do this, and COVID kind of killed it, killed it. And um, you know, trying to get keep that going and find new ways, it, it's a challenge. But yeah. men need that, women need that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I told my wife when we were. Uh, fairly newly married, that um, she really needed to, she needed some girlfriends to talk to because I couldn't be that whole mm-hmm. thing for her. And um, and I'm very blessed. She she works at Trinity Christian School and has a whole slew of, of ladies that now walk with her and, and awesome. encourage her. Um, so that's uh, that's something we all need mm-hmm. support systems. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. We can tell you're so passionate about what you do, um, but can you tell us what has been one of the most rewarding parts of your profession? You know, um, if I'm really honest, I'm, I am really surprised how much I love what I do. Um, I walk to my truck every day, even when uh, things may have blown apart and I have couples that have an argument in the middle of a session or, um, you know, somebody is in uh, just real turmoil and I don't know what to do and the really hard stuff. I get to my truck at the end of the day and I just have this sense of, I love this work. Yeah. Um, that's the, the thing, you know, that, I, that blows me away. It's very rewarding to recognize that I have the opportunity to walk alongside other people and uh, be there for some very difficult things, for some very wonderful things, and um, and have uh, had the chance to maybe say some things that encourage them. Um, it is a little frightening when somebody comes in and says, "Well, you said this," and I'm like, "Oh no, what did I say?" Um, and and it, it, it that's a rewarding thing when people come back and and they actually will will repeat something you said to them that really spoke into their life. That's, uh, that that keeps me going sometimes, but it scares me to death sometimes. <laughs> like, uh-oh, what did I say to you? <laughs> because I'm, you, I'm just imperfect me, and you know, and I'm always a little afraid uh, of what are they going to say. <laughs> well, and what what would you say is the the most difficult thing? I, I know you you deal with some really difficult um, situations and. You know, um, being an empath uh, and carrying other people's emotions, uh, that's part of why uh, I know I, I landed here. Uh, my own counselor years ago, years ago, before I really started pursuing this, told me I would eventually be a counselor. Um, I guess he saw it. And um, carrying the emotions of, of other people, carrying the stories of other people, uh, I'm getting better at that, but I still wake up in the middle of the night worried about situations that I hear of and yeah. and the heaviness that's the difficulty is comes with the heaviness of carrying other people's stories yeah um and truth is I I don't think I ever want to lose that I I don't think I could do it if I didn't feel it mm-hmm. and uh, and I am getting better at leaving things in the office mm-hmm. so it, it doesn't interfere all the time but my wife can generally tell when I've had a really hard day because I 
time spent and I can't hear another word for a while. Yeah. Uh, it, that's probably the most difficult thing that I've faced is the emotional, uh, you know, mess that people land in and being yeah. there alongside them. Well, that's a lot of responsibility, too, because I'm sure there are a lot of things that people tell you that they may have never told anyone else. I, it's amazing to me how many times I hear that. Mm-hmm. I have never told this to anybody else in my life. And yeah. that it's an honor, and, and I cherish that, and I, and I try to, to um, never betray that. Um, it's, it is a big, big deal when yeah. somebody finally feels uh, confident enough to put some really dark things on the table some very painful things on the table and uh, ask you to be there and, and they've lived with it mm-hmm. and now they're asking me to live with it too and yeah. uh, that's it's just such an honor to do for people yeah absolutely you know what emily and i are both empaths yes <laughs> so we understand you know trying to help everyone and take on all the emotions there oh, has yeah. to be a a healthy boundary set there. That's part of why I still see a counselor yeah, <laughs> because I, I couldn't do it without having that ability to process, mm-hmm. um, you know, what I'm feeling with the tough stuff that sometimes I have to, to help people walk through. You know, there is a, um, you know, there's a thing called vicarious trauma. Mm-hmm. When you do trauma work, um, you as an individual can be traumatized by hearing another person's stories of trauma. Yeah. And, you know, and I've, I've began to realize lately I, I, I work with some individuals who uh, in the in the medical field who um, are dealing with families who are in trauma, but they are also traumatized by the, the experience yeah. of, um, of, of the death of a child or something like that. And mm-hmm. I'm starting to really come to understand how an individual can be traumatized and be walking through vicarious trauma at the same time and it's mm-hmm. heavy it's oh, very yeah. very heavy and, um, and and it makes me really sad for the folks that i work with sometimes and they keep going yeah. and, going. and so would that be a time where you would recommend the emdr um it depend, like yes um there are there are certain circumstances some individuals who are in it have figured out to, to not ways to not let it in every day mm-hmm. you know they they work at letting it go mm-hmm. um i don't I don't think I could do the, the tough stuff in an ER or an ICU or things of that nature. I don't think I could do that very easily mm-hmm. because I tend to let things in. Mm-hmm. And some of those people, they're not they're not robots. It, it yeah. does get in, but they've learned how to not let it in. And, and they've learned how to be clinical. And there are times mm-hmm. I have to be clinical. Yeah. And so we, we learn that. Um, you know, but, you know, those folks need oftentimes to reach out and because certain circumstances uh, really EMDR could help with um, that when, when you have a circumstance that uh, that is so much harder. Yeah. I worked with a fireman who um, had been uh, he had been on the job for more than 20 years and he had a circumstance um, in, a, in a situation with a suicide that they had gone to, and he, and he couldn't understand why did this bother me, mm-hmm. um, because I've seen this so many times. But something sometimes will happen, and um, and EMDR was was it, it was life saving for him. It yeah. really helped him to release that the extra thing that happened with this specific incident. Yeah, and just to speak a little bit more towards that, if somebody was doing EMDR. Um, what does that look like as far as amount of appointments? It's bio-individual, I assume. It um, is. Um, EMDR is one of those interesting uh, treatments that you can, uh, since you're releasing something from the nervous system, you can see a quicker and, and better improvement over a, a, a much shorter time period. Mm-hmm. Well, some of the things I read, you can sometimes do um, uh, the, the work in three or four sessions of EMDR that would take you six months of talking about. Yeah. Uh, because you're you're going to the source, you're releasing it from the nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it depends on the on what you're working. Um, most of the individuals that I work with um, come to me uh, not just for trauma. They come to me for relational issues or depression or anxiety. And um, there's a lot of I find my practice is a real combination of talk and EMDR. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes we talk for a while because. Um, an individual may just not be up for that process that day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and 
I, you know, I have, I've had a couple individuals that came to me specifically for EMDR and, you know, and depending on the circumstance, we, we may work five, six times and, and they found enough relief to say, I'll call you if I think I need to, to do any more. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it, it really varies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I typically find with my, with my practice, I have a quite a few longer term clients, uh, I, because I am more about let's build a relationship, people mm-hmm. tend to stick around. Um, and so I may do MDR uh, some, and then six months from now, we may, something else may come up, we may do a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's hard to say. Uh, I, they talk about how many times somebody will see a counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, I have folks that I've been working with for, for a couple of years. Uh, one individual I've been working with for probably, you know, Six and a half. I started working with them as I was finishing my master's. Um, and so you you build relationships and you find that this helps. Yeah. Well, I know for for me, I think we only did EMDR twice. Mm-hmm. I think and and that was new. I was still pretty much learning EMDR when when you did that. <laughs> and it was. I mean, yeah. even in just the first session, I felt tons better. Um, and the second session was like, okay, mm-hmm. now. This feels like it's done everything it needs to do, but and the individual, like I said, the individual called shots. So yeah. if you feel like you know, I think I'm done. I don't mm-hmm. really feel I need to do anymore with yeah. it because the mind and body will process that trauma out. Yeah. Um, even after the session, EMDR session, the body was continuing to do that work. Yeah. So um, you know, I've had individuals that I, I thought we'd be doing it quite a bit more, and they find very quick relief and mm-hmm. say, "I think I'm done." And yeah. That's okay too. Yeah, I know, like, for me, when I would have anything that would kind of trigger that that memory or that response, I felt like somebody was physically laying on my chest. Like, I couldn't fully breathe, and my, my limbs would start to feel numb. Mm-hmm. And after the first session, I didn't feel that anymore. It That's was, so it was awesome. wild. I think, I feel like the past five to seven years, working through past traumas, at least... I guess I just became more aware of it, but I feel like it's just become so much more of a common thing and it's so important. Mm -hmm. Everybody has something. Well, we all need, you know, I I know I've said this word several times, we all need balance. Yeah. Um, And that's where um, a lot of what goes along with the MDR is mindfulness work and Mm -hmm. getting out of your head and into your body. Mm -hmm. That's being aware of what's going on in your body and recognizing the connections um, between uh, your nervous system and, you know, your gut and your brain and all of those things. And I try to encourage individuals uh, to find the balance. And, and that might involve yoga or Pilates or something else, you know, something yeah. or going to a physical therapist. There are a lot of things that people need to do to find the balance mm-hmm. that are outside of sitting with the counselor and talking about things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's been the, the coolest thing we have found on every episode of this podcast is like, I mean, I've seen patients in PT where I'm going, when did this pain start? And then they start going, well, you know, when, when so-and-so died or like when this really hard thing happened, I'm like, okay. So there's like, there's some emotion that your body is holding on to, And that's part of what's going on here. Right. And, you know, same for, for nutrition and same for, for all of the professions. It's like, we really do our patients and clients the biggest service by reaching out and kind of incorporating other people with different talents and perspectives and skills to really get to the root of what all is going on. And mm-hmm. I love that we're, we're kind of building that here in Lubbock. I feel like it is good. We have, we have much more available for people. Um, you said something that triggered a thought. They, they are finding the EMDR can help with uh, issues of chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not; it doesn't treat the chronic pain, but you find the trauma that contributes to the pain. Yeah. And if you release the trauma, um, it can have uh, a, a residual impact of, of relieving some of that chronic pain that people experience based on you know due to other circumstances. Yeah. You know, I I, I don't treat lupus, <laughs> right. but I can but I can help someone uh, release the trauma yeah. that yeah. might exacerbate. Well, that makes sense because chronic pain is so deeply related to your nervous system. It's so, you can't separate the two. And all it builds back to balance. Yeah. If you can find the balance, it really I bet EMDR would help digestion. I see a ton of Mm stress-related digestion. Mm -hmm. You know, 
we do, they do my program and their nutrition is great and they're eating enough and they're eating nutrient dense foods, but their digestion is still off. Mm -hmm. And then when we get to that adrenal stress part of the program, I'm like, I think there's a little bit more than, you know, just yeah. eating clean food that's, that's going to help that. So I found individuals who find relief from PMJ yeah. um, um, and other, uh, you know, uh, that muscular type issues mm -hmm. uh, because their their the the stress in their body is based in long-term trauma mm -hmm. and you know you see some relief I, you know like i said i'm not here to treat tmj but yeah, right. it, I, you know if you can release some of those things that that keep you in that state that mm -hmm. you know, traumatized state and you don't even realize you're living mm -hmm. in it um, it does have uh, a lot of an impact all around yeah absolutely and pelvic floor is exactly the same it's i mean i i've told a lot of people if you feel that you have really tight upper traps you probably have a tight pelvic floor just mm -hmm. just statistically if you you know have all this tension and pressure from you know holding your shoulders a certain way because you're always kind of tightly wound mm -hmm. you know your your body is holding that tension in your pelvic floor a lot of the time too which can cause you know pain and problems with continence and and all sorts of other stuff. So it's all deeply, deeply connected. Um, well, how can people get in contact with you? I know you are like, <laughs> I'm very busy. I've already said uh, my, my practice is very full. Um, you know, I, I, what I tell people uh, all the time, you know, is I can, if they will call me, I can try to uh, point them in the direction. I have several other counselors in town that that have many of them are group practice. A few of them are group practices, and they have other individuals. They may have more availability than I do. Mm -hmm. um, I do have a website, uh, timhayeslpc.com. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty simple. Just a nice, simple place to find me. Um, but uh, if anybody needs something, they can call me, and I can try to point them in 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 the direction that might help. On occasion, I'm able to slip somebody into my schedule, but. Um, now, I've, I've learned over this past year of being so busy, if, if you add somebody today, it's not a problem necessarily today, but six weeks from now when you're yeah. trying to put everybody in, it's, it's a huge challenge. And, you know, fortunately, my clients are, are learning to be patient with me and my schedule, and, and I'm learning to be, be less um, uh, obsessive compulsive about, about giving them the exact same time every time they come in and yeah. mm -hmm. realizing that, you know, if they, if they usually come in here and I, the only time I have that week is over here and they're like, Oh, sure. I could do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I've learned to, to be a little bit less wound up about that. Well, and like you said, balance. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. I'm still working on that. <laughs> hey, me too. Me too. Well, we always end with um, our last question, and that's going to be, what is a legacy that you're wanting to leave behind? You know, um, I did think about this. I knew this was your last question, so <laughs> I had thought about this. And what I, what I, uh, my legacy in for my counseling practice and really my life, um, it really is more related to trying to relationships. I keep throwing that word out there. It's obviously a big thing for me. Um, I sincerely believe with every fiber of my being that the only thing we can take from this life is the relationships that we build here. Yeah. Um, and you know, we, I've, I've heard people talk about near death experiences and what do they talk about? Oftentimes they talk about the people that they knew that they saw on the other side. And I believe that's the only thing we can take with us. So if we can do something to try to, if I can do something to try and help people improve the relationships they have, um, or, and sometimes it's, um, uh, it's, it's not, uh, it's not about fixing every relationship you have. Sometimes, uh, it requires recognizing this particular relationship is not healthy mm -hmm. and I need to step away from it. Um, mm -hmm. and that's, that's a challenge for a lot of people. Uh, but finding the ability to say we're not good together, which is counter to me because I'm very pro marriage. Um, uh, but I've learned that sometimes, uh, individuals really don't need to be together, and that's really sad for me. Mm -hmm. But even if even if you choose to to leave a marriage, you can uh, be reconciled within yourself that I did the best I could, mm -hmm. and you know, and you can have a relationship, albeit um, in different places, and um, and and be more balanced and and able to deal with life. So if I have a legacy, it's that uh, people have developed some relationships here. 
in, in this place that you know, on the other side, whatever it is, um, we, we've impacted that. Yeah. And that's a pretty, when I think about that, that's a big legacy. Right? So, it know, is. Yeah. Well, and I know even in, in my own life that you have helped me so tremendously in my relationships and um, especially in my relationship with myself, which I think, that was the relationship that I, you know, as you said that, I, yeah. I was thinking, oh, I forgot that because that's probably the most important relationship mm-hmm. uh, that all of us need to develop is the one with ourselves. Well, and what I found working with you is like my relationship with myself was garbage. And that's why all the relationships around me were garbage because I didn't, I didn't have a good relationship with myself to begin with. Uh, working with the counselor for so long, he got so frustrated with me for years um, that I could not love myself. Mm-hmm. And what I came to understand is you really can't be in a love relationship with someone else if you don't understand what it is to love yourself. Yeah. And, Absolutely. you know, and that's a, that is another very important piece, um, you know, is the inner relationship with yourself. It's not selfish to take care of yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, self-care is a very important thing. Uh, and we all need to learn how to do that. Yeah. And when we can take care of ourselves, we are more equipped to, to be with those that are around us. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and kind of like you were speaking to the relationships that are, you know, positive in your life and the relationships that maybe you're really harming your life. And when you when you do learn to love yourself and put your foot down sometimes and go, hey, you know, I can't do this right now. This is good worth for more me. than this. <laughs> yeah. Then those people are really repulsed by that, by that confidence and self-love and that it it really ends up kind of sorting everything out really nicely. It does. It, it doesn't mean it's easy. No. Um, it, it can be very challenging. But I always try to ask, what is the healthy thing to do? Yeah. And sometimes the healthiest thing to do is to walk away yeah. and say, this isn't working anymore. Right. Yeah. As far as the um, self-care, I also think self-care can be just slowing down. Mm-hmm. You know, we are in this like fast track life where you have to do everything, you have to be everything. And it's like, maybe it just means like saying no to a few things that you already backed yourself into. Right. It's doing breath work. You know, yes. I, it's, you yes. know I was surprised. You know, there, there are some authors out there that talk about the nervous system and, mm-hmm. um, and, and how we in America um, have about 18 respirations a minute. Our breath mm-hmm. is about 18 minutes and we're designed for 12. Yeah. Because we are always running so hard, and that to reset your nervous system to to cut that in half to six respirations a minute, it will slow everything down. And you know, so yeah, slowing down is hugely important. Yeah. Finding ways to unplug, um, finding finding the, the ways to take care of yourself along the way. Um, you know, I'm I still struggle with that. Yeah. You know, I still I'm still not very good at it, but I'm I'm working at getting better and taking the time for me. Um, I get a deep tissue massage every other week these days because it is the one place I go that I can totally unplug and uh, and just let somebody try to, you know, help me slow mm-hmm. down. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming sure. on, Tim. You've, you've been so valuable and um, in my personal life, but also to, to maybe kind of help clear some things up for people or inspire them to seek similar services maybe not with you because you're so busy (laughs) there are a lot of really good counselors in this town there really are uh we are very blessed uh to have you know three or you know organ three organ really four programs you know that that are training counselors wayland love it christian um texas tech and you know actually there are more texas tech you know Mm -hmm. but and the health sciences center uh there are there are quite a few counselor training programs in town. So yeah. we have a lot of folks that are working on uh, trying to do this type of work. Yeah. Well, and um, if if somebody were to need some guidance from you, because that's, that's kind of something we've been preaching is like knowing people who know people so you feel a little bit more confident about who you're entrusting with your health and your needs. Um, so maybe they could get some um, perspective from you about where to, where to go mm-hmm. to get those... You know, I, I mentioned my website, timhayeslpc.com, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and my and my email is pretty simple, timhayeslpc at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I people can email me, and I can try to point them in the right direction as yeah. well. And we'll link all that. Um, yep. That's fine. In there yeah. For you. Yeah. Well, 
Well, Thank I you appreciate so you having much, me. It, it's, so great. it's been it's been a really good conversation. Um, it's it's nice to sometimes step back and, and really rethink. I yeah. guess I do really love what I do. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's hard when you're you're in it every day, all day. But when you take a step back, that's that's what makes the really good ones is the ones who love what they do. Maybe we can catch you down the road when you're not as busy and do a specific topic or something like that. Okay. Yeah, put some pressure okay. on you. No. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes. Thank, Thank you, you, Tim. Y'all have a great week.